Are China's COVID-19 death toll numbers reliable? Beijing says about 60,000 died of the virus in recent weeks. But internet users in China discovered the death count in just a single city far exceeds the official number for the entire country. Funeral homes in Beijing have the capacity to cremate about 130,000 people that time frame. If you remove those that died of natural causes, still more than 11,000 deaths could have been due to the virus. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. How just many have died from COVID-19 in China? No one knows for sure, but some internet users in China are doing their own math and casting doubt on Beijing's official numbers. Here's one example. China's top health body says about 60,000 died of the virus between December 8th last year and January 12th this year. But the figure is significantly lower than estimates of the virus death toll in Beijing, a single city. Here's the calculation. Funeral homes in Beijing are capable of cremating 3,600 people per day when they're running full capacity. So within these 36 days, funeral homes in Beijing could cremate over 120,000 dead bodies. On average, about 330 people die of natural causes per day in Beijing. So over 11,000 could die of natural deaths during the same period. Removing that number from the estimate, at least 100,000 could have died from the virus in Beijing, one single city in China. During this time, funeral homes in Beijing were running at full capacity. The biggest funeral home in Beijing told Radio Free Asia that crematoriums were working around the clock. Despite that pace, some people have reported wait times up to six days for a slot to cremate their loved ones. Videos circulating online show funeral-related business is booming in China. In one video clip, workers are seen making batches of new caskets. In another part of the factory, workers add finishing touches to newly made ones. Another video shows workers loading new caskets onto a truck for delivery. Still another captures fully loaded trucks ready to hit the road. One of the videos was uploaded along with the caption. It explains the clip shows a batch of new crematory furnaces and that they're ready to be delivered to a funeral home in Fuzhou, a city in southeastern China. Other footage reveals how some in China are touring new cemeteries. A man said in the video that sales of these cemeteries are going well. One video shows stacks of new funeral bags in stock. At the same time, a related screenshot captured on social media group chats discussion. In it, a business owner says she's getting order inquiries for tens of millions of body bags per day, but she can't accept or fill the orders because clients are asking for delivery of the bags in just half a month. Lunar New Year is starting this weekend, and tens of millions of Chinese will travel to their hometowns to celebrate with their family. But many will make the trip after a period of mourning. That's for relatives that have passed away during the recent COVID-19 wave though many of them were not counted as COVID-19 deaths. Here's a closer look. Lunar New Year is meant to be a happy time for Chinese families, but this year for Zhang and so many others like him across the country, it will be a much more somber affair. For the 66-year-old Beijing resident has lost three of his close relatives and a close family friend to COVID-19. All passed away from the disease after the country relaxed its zero COVID policy. One of them, an aunt, was infected whilst being treated in a Beijing hospital for another long-term illness. The hospital tried to move her from one uh, building to another one, and two days later, she passed away. Uh, the, on her death certificate, the cause of death is described as the 
heart failure. By official definitions, that doesn't count as a COVID-related death. The lifting of restrictions in China after widespread protests against them in November has overwhelmed hospitals and funeral homes across the country and dampened the mood for festivities. There's no holiday mood. The people are suffering. People are so anxious. And uh, people going to drugstores, um, medical facilities, the hospital, the clinics, try as hard as they can to get what they need. That is the reality. And uh, yeah, it is sad. After global criticism of its coronavirus data, China on January 14th revealed nearly 60,000 people had died in hospital since it abandoned zero COVID in early December. But health experts say that likely doesn't count many people dying at home, especially in rural areas where there's weaker medical systems. The worry is that mass migration for Lunar New Year will bring another surge in cases as hundreds of millions of Chinese return to small towns and rural villages from urban areas. State media has been filled with stories of rural hospitals and clinics bolstering supplies of drugs and equipment. A Chinese Communist Party official is triggering anger among Internet users. That's as funeral homes across China are overwhelmed and people are mourning their loved ones. Jiang works at a renowned university in Beijing, serving as deputy director of the propaganda department for the university's party committee. Worth noting, the majority of universities in China have internal departments that function as branches of the Chinese Communist Party. Over the weekend, he shared a post on Chinese social media. In it, he wrote that he had expected millions of people in China to die of COVID-19, saying, quote, so what if millions of people die? He cited how China's 2021 death toll reached 10 million, adding that 5 million more, quote, wouldn't be a big deal. He also questioned why the number is considered unacceptable. His remarks sparked a huge amount of criticism on social media platform Weibo. Comments on the post have since been censored. Many businesses are begging for Chinese tourism, given the country's borders are now open. But in the United States, travel agents don't seem to be benefiting from the change. Here's the latest. Before COVID-19 shut down global tourism, China was the world's largest outbound travel market. In 2019, Chinese tourists spent more than $120 billion overseas. The U.S. used to be one of their favorite destinations. But things are different this year. I think we have a 30% rebound as compared to before the pandemic. I can see more inquiries than before, but for real orders, still it's hard to tell, since it's only mid-January. David Dong is the CEO of a travel agency in New York. He said what's stopping Chinese tourists is mainly the tightened U.S. visa policy, meaning tedious procedures, long waiting times, and a higher chance of rejection by the embassy. This trend has continued from the Trump era through the pandemic. On top of that, long-haul flights are now beyond the reach of many Chinese. That's after Beijing's three-year zero-COVID-19 policy took its toll on the country's economy. I think the economy is another factor to consider, because after all, these years many businesses and industries are struggling. The economy is not as good as before. Meanwhile, the Chinese communist regime doesn't seem to encourage travel to the U.S., given the political and economic tensions between the two countries. Many Chinese travel platforms, as well as official travel agencies, haven't fully started marketing trips to Europe and the United States. Typically, the busy season for Chinese tourism to the U.S. starts in April. Insiders project that this year's prospects may not be clear until then. Back to the situation inside China. 
more outbound tourists are flocking to international airports. That's with the Lunar New Year holiday just days away. Among those wheeling large suitcases, many say they welcome the easing of COVID-19 curbs. I want to go to Macau and celebrate the Lunar New Year in Macau. As the pandemic control policy has been lifted, I think for our citizens it makes life more convenient. We think it's very good. We can travel abroad to some places that we couldn't travel to in the past three years. The no COVID-19 test is also good policy. The majority of travelers don't seem to be going far. Data from Chinese travel platforms shows the top search destinations were Japan, Thailand and South Korea. That was shortly after Beijing announced the lifting of entry quarantine. According to Chinese officials, a daily average of half a million people have moved in or out of China since the border opened. The University of Texas at Austin, becoming the latest institution to outlaw popular video sharing app TikTok, blocking access to it on its Wi-Fi network. In a message to students Tuesday, the school explained that they're no longer able to access TikTok on any device if connected to the university via its wired or Wi-Fi networks. TikTok is owned by Chinese developer ByteDance, based in Beijing. The message also pointed to Texas Governor Greg Abbott's December directive. It states there's a growing threat of the Chinese Communist Party trying to infiltrate the U.S. and orders all state agencies to eliminate cybersecurity risk posed by the video-sharing app. The move follows the footsteps of over 30 U.S. states and the federal level, plus several more universities, which prohibit the software on government-managed devices. Economic growth and avoiding global recession, these issues are topping the agenda at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. That's against the backdrop of war in Ukraine and worries over climate issues. When it comes to China, it's not about the threats imposed by the communist country or intellectual property theft or unfair trade practices. It's about how some countries believe China can bring hope to the global economy after three years of lockdowns and strict COVID-19 rules. This as some of the world's largest economies struggle to overcome a downturn. At the meeting on Tuesday, Chinese Vice Premier Liu tried to assure investors and other economies that China is still a good place to do business. He laid out an optimistic vision, saying if Chinese people work hard enough, China's growth will most likely return to its normal trend this year. He added that China expects to buy more from other countries and receive more investment from them, too. He also said China would return to pre-pandemic consumption habits over the coming months. If that happens, the shift would benefit foreign companies. Top finance officials at the forum welcome China's change in pandemic policy. The CEO of American investment bank Citigroup called China's opening up good news for the global market. While the CEO for Chinese travel company Trip.com said the company is working with airlines to raise tourism numbers back to normal by the third quarter. By Q3, we hope uh, the capacity will be back to normal. Likewise, the company says it's trying to help Chinese travelers heading abroad. An agreement between the U.S. Treasury and Beijing. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He for the first time in person on Wednesday during a two-and-a-half-hour meeting in Switzerland. The department said both leaders agreed to better communication about macroeconomic and financial issues. They also pledged to improve cooperation on climate finance, including within forums like the United Nations, Group of 20 and APEC. The Treasury called the talks candid, substantive and constructive. Liu said both countries need serious communication, adding that he was ready for an in-depth exchange. 
U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping vowed to increase communication when they met in Indonesia in November. The reports are in, and China's 2022 economic growth slumped to one of its worst levels in nearly half a century. Let's take a closer look. The world's number two economy grew by just 3 percent in 2022, less than half of the previous year's 8.1 percent. That's based on official data. It marks the second lowest annual rate since at least the 1970s, beaten only by 2020 when growth fell to 2.4 percent at the start of the pandemic. In particular, last year's fourth quarter was hit hard by a property market slump, strict COVID-19 curbs, and later an abrupt rollback of lockdown rules that has led to surging infections and temporary labor shortage and supply chain disruptions. Now, to boost the economy, China's top leaders have pledged to focus on expanding consumption, aiming to help support domestic demand. What's more, authorities rolled out new policies to target home buyers and property developers. This looks to address a long-running liquidity squeeze for developers and the delayed completion of many housing projects. Some experts paint a brighter picture, though, for the Chinese economy in 2023, predicting new growth in the second quarter. Others are more cautious. The World Bank cut its 2023 growth outlook for China to 4.3 percent from a forecast in June of 5.2 percent. Due to lacking transparency on economic data from China and the pandemic hitting the country's economy hard, some experts believe China's real GDP for 2022 is lower than the official number or its economy was actually shrinking. Next, we'd like to take a minute to answer a question from our viewers, asking why the Chinese regime isn't recommending certain early COVID-19 treatment options. Those with severe COVID-19 symptoms are prescribed ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and vitamin D by frontline physicians in the U.S. You use vitamin D3 supplementation. You use early outpatient treatments. We know it's very successful and it works. In China, there are no reports of authorities recommending those treatment options. Instead, when the outbreak first started, China had been stepping up the production and distribution of a traditional Chinese medicine to prevent or treat COVID-19. Authorities have distributed millions of boxes of it to residents for free. But the drug has been criticized on Chinese social media for its efficacy. Locals have also protested over the handling of the situation. They were very... Uh intent on using China vaccines instead of vaccines from the United States. Uh, and the same thing seems to be happening with the drug treatment. Starting mid-December, hospitals in China have been prescribing an HIV drug to treat COVID-19 amid the ongoing virus surge, called Asbudine. The drug was developed by a Chinese drug maker. It was approved by China's drug regulator for wider use to treat COVID-19 last July. But reports found the drug comes with many side effects, especially for the elderly. Although the Chinese regime's reasoning behind its COVID-19 treatment options remains unclear. Former U.S. Army microbiologist Sean Lin says he believes Beijing's agenda is to infect the population quickly, then gain huge herd immunity at any cost. China has the world's largest population of older people. As of China's latest official COVID-19 death toll, nearly 60 percent of deaths involve someone over 80 years old. Coming up, China's population is declining, and ethnic groups like the Uyghur population in Xinjiang or East Turkestan fit that trend, but differently than the whole of China. Beijing has relaxed the zero COVID-19 policy and quarantine centers are shutting down. But in East Turkestan, workers are still building internment camps. 
I think that the international community needs to wake up. Uh, we can't continue to rely on China's own data to, you know, whether it's on COVID, whether it's on the population or on any front. We have to recognize the fact that the Chinese government lies. Our own Tiffany Meyer spoke to Salih Hudayar, Prime Minister of East Turkestan government in exile for an update. More details in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Thursday marks the two-year anniversary since the U.S. officially recognized the genocide on ethnic Uyghurs in Xinjiang, the region known as East Turkestan by the Uyghurs. But what's changed in the last two years? Tiffany Meyer spoke to Salih Huriyar, prime minister of East Turkestan government in exile, to find out more. Prime Minister Salih, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I want to begin with the population decline in China. It seems it's the first time in decades. How much of that population decline is part of the Uyghurs? Like, how much do the Uyghurs make up that number? I would say a substantial portion of that, given the fact that since 2017, uh, our population growth has plummeted uh, in some areas at to zero percent uh, because of the Chinese government's forced sterilization, forced marriages policy and mass internment policy. And on that note, it seems on top of that, there's also been, say, the COVID policies, right? I think that's also played a role in the internment camps and all that. So it seems, you know, China has ended the zero COVID. But what do you know in terms of what's happening with the Uyghur population? Has anything changed? Nothing has changed uh, for the Uyghurs, sadly. Um, the Chinese government, although it officially states that it has ended the uh, quarantines and it had ended the zero-COVID draconian policies, uh, you still see them continuing to build so-called quarantine facilities, internment camps across the deserts of East Turkestan. So nothing has changed when it comes to the Uyghurs. The genocide continues. The Chinese government's uh, you know, manipulation, its lies continue. And on the note of the Uyghur genocide, it seems it's almost been two years since the U.S. recognized officially that, that that's happening. Has that recognition changed anything in terms of how the Uyghurs are treated or what's been happening in these two years? Uh, unfortunately, it has not changed much. Um, the Chinese government continues to uh, carry out genocide even in 2023. Uh, it continues to deny the fact that it's carrying out genocide. Um, but the U.S. recognition of the genocide has led to uh, recognitions, uh, similar recognitions by uh, nearly a dozen uh, parliaments in uh, the United uh, in in the EU, including the United Kingdom, Canada, Netherlands, Belgium, and so forth. Um, it's also brought more awareness uh, on on you know what's happening to the Uyghurs and the other Turkic peoples of East Turkestan. But sadly, it, it hasn't been enough to stop. The, the genocide. On the note of the forced labor, Prime Minister, it seems, you know, there's been some acts passed. There's the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act in terms specifically of, say, solar panels. But it seems we're still getting solar panels. Now they're just stuck at the border because no country can prove that it wasn't using slave labor. What does it actually need to be? What needs to be in a bill to make sure that actual change happens? Well, we need to understand that it's not just in East Turkestan. 
the Chinese government is relocating uh, Uyghurs in mass, forcibly relocating them to other provinces in China, to where they continue to be used as slave labor. So we need to, you know, implement uh, a legislation that would essentially ban all products made in China. This is the this is the only way that we can stop the forced labor until China stops the genocide, until that they can, you know, allow independent investigators to go into China, to go into East Turkestan, to confirm that it's not using it. There's no other way uh, that we can, you know, allow the Chinese government to continue sending uh, goods and state that, oh, yeah, we'll take your word for it just because you're saying that you're not doing it. And from the, say, human rights angle, what needs to change in that area? Well, from the human rights angle, uh, sadly, a lot of things needs to change. The fact that we are facing, you know, genocide, we're facing colonization is not just a small matter of human rights. It's because China occupied East Turkestan, they're waging colonization in East Turkestan, and their ultimate aim is to make East Turkestan into China's eternal colony. Until East Turkestan regains its independence, we won't be able to see any drastic changes in the human rights conditions of East Turkestan or its people. And I understand to mark the occasion on January 19th of the two-year anniversary, you're set to release jointly a white paper. Can you give us a little preview of what's going to be in that? Yes, the white paper essentially titled East Turkestan was never a part of China highlights the fact that East Turkestan is an occupied country. It highlights China's efforts to subvert East Turkestan's struggle to uh, regain its independence, be it through co-optation or denial strategy, often employing other countries uh, like Muslim countries, like Turkey, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to hinder uh, our national independence. At the same time, it also highlights the fact that the Chinese government is lying uh, when it comes to the issue of our population. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in, in 1949, we were 9 million. There's no way that some almost nearly 80 years later, we're only at, you know, uh, 11 million. Uh, based on that and based on other uh, evidence, including the Chinese government's own testimony uh, via state media stating that they collected the DNA samples of 36 million non-Chinese peoples between the ages of 12 and 65 in 2017, we assess that our population is well over 40 million or was well over 40 million prior to 2017. And Prime Minister, with all the different areas covered, any last words? I think that the international community needs to wake up. Uh, we can't continue to rely on China's own data to, you know, whether it's on COVID, whether it's on the population or on any front. We have to recognize the fact that the Chinese government lies and it's, you know, they use lies as a tool of diplomacy, as a tool of governance. So we need to, you know, take whatever the Chinese government says as, you know, with a grain of salt and do our own proper investigation and assess the situation uh, accordingly. Prime Minister Saleh Hudayar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week.